to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hey, what's up? And welcome to another episode of EST, the podcast for established church leaders by established church leaders. My name is Josh. Micah is smiling. Sam is smiling as well. How are you guys? I'm smiling at Micah. I was dancing to see if I could make you guys laugh. (laughs) Oh, I moved. I wasn't looking at you guys at the time. I was just sitting here in my chair, kind of grooving and dancing. (laughs) Because we don't get to hear that wonderful spot at the beginning. You know, the, um, our lead in music. It's fantastic. We got to play that. It's catchy. It's catchy. Yeah, like and it. yeah, that's know, all props, added post. Props to our producer Taylor. We never talk about him ever, but right, he he does a good job. He does. Although a on the last job. episode, he left something in. We but we, that we, we had totally a little interlude. That was one hundred percent my fault. Um, because you know I just didn't tell him, so he didn't even know to take anything out. Um, and I'm looking it up right now. He's his name's not Taylor, right? I don't know. You know what I'm He's your guy. I know. Um, it's Taylor though. But what I'm saying is, uh, stage names. Uh, oh, you know what I mean. When you're when you're a celebrity, is that like, his stage name? I don't know his real name. You this do is know new his, news. You know his real name, but you're not using his public persona name. Is what I'm saying. Oh, okay. I was about to say. And I can't even think of it right now. Okay. So, he has a radio name is what you're saying. He has a radio name. Because he he is a personality on a very large radio station. I won't even say the name of the city. I was about to think like, who is this man of mystery that has been producing our podcast for all these years? It's Taylor and he's awesome. But he does have a a, a radio personality name. And you scared me. Like, did I get Jay Allen. Jay Allen. <laughs> Jay Allen. There you go. Now I'm going to be so confused. I just know him as Taylor. <laughs> you outed. You outed Jay. This, I, I guess little, I did. Oh, this no. little insider conversation is the stuff that people come to our podcast for. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. they're all going to be the, confused. Seriously, judging by the response I got last time, they were they really liked us leaving in our giant mess up where you dropped. <laughs> they loved it. Everybody I, was messaging me. We were like, Man, I, I think our it. listeners are just kind. I think they were just being kind. They're gracious. Yeah. Micah's yeah. internet fell off. He had to disappear. Couldn't finish the podcast. It was fun. Oh, well. All right, Sam. I'm We've got a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful partnership with Church Initiative, the church creators initiative. of Divorce Care and Grief Share. And despite the fact that we're in the midst of this pandemic, Church Initiative's mission hasn't changed. They want to equip the members of your church to offer Christ-centered support groups for grieving and divorced people. And they're committed to providing you with everything you need to continue doing that in a season of social distancing and restrictions on gatherings. So, for those of you who already offer Divorce Care and Grief Share, we want you to know they've made it possible for you to offer online groups at no additional cost. So, you can continue these vital ministries safely while still practicing social distancing. They've got online workbooks, online videos, online discussions, free coaching for you or your group leaders. Church Initiative provides everything your church needs. And if you start a new grief share or divorce care group, your church will be able to offer online groups as well. So, how do you find out about Church Initiative, specifically grief share and divorce care? You can learn more at churchinitiative.org slash EST. Again, churchinitiative.org slash EST. Go check them out. They are fantastic. Incredible resource. We've talked about this before. We love using them at Brainerd. That's right. 
So we're talking about, uh, hey, well, let me ask you this. Have you ever met anybody that just is incapable of reading the room? They start talking and yeah, so I've got tell. I've got a good friend. I won't say their name, but both of you know who they are. And um, he likes to say often that person has no feel. That's, he okay. says it. I, I probably get a text from him every day. Hey, look, X, Y, Z. So and so has no feel. And I think that's a really good. They just an inability kind or of people a, are jabronis. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> and so, but I mean, the point is that you, you struggle to read a room, you struggle to read context, you don't understand right. audience very well. And all of us understand that there are some people who, who are leading churches, who are pastors, church leaders, church staff members who struggle to rightly read the tea leaves, right? right. They don't understand context super well. And we tend to love sort of plug and play ministry solutions, right? Sometimes when it comes to strategy in our churches where we don't necessarily read the room very well and understand how to apply specific kinds of leadership, different strategies in our church context. Well, I think, I think, Micah, you just opened up that can of worms and then described every one of the worms that's going to come out of this idea of reading a church, right? <laughs> there's so, more worms than I just mentioned. Oh, man. man, there's a lot there. And the idea is for, for people who can't read a room, I mean, they make awkward friends. But for folks who can't read a church, you've got two sides of this, I think, we could talk about. First is reading a church if you're going in to accept the call. So you you need to, to – one of the things I always say is you are interviewing them as much as they are interviewing you. So you need to kind of read who they are, their passions, their purposes, uh, their property, try to figure out other P words, their plans, their – you know, all that kind of stuff. You need to read that. Another side of it is once you've been pastoring for a while in a certain setting, how do you read – uh, the church, so you can make sure that you're fresh and updated. I had a message this morning from an EST listener who is about to take a lead position and wants to chat this afternoon about understanding the context, the church, making that sort of transition. So let's just let's do that um, first and yeah, foremost. Well, there's multiple layers to, to reading the context, right? You need to know the context of your city or your community. That's mm -hmm. that's part of reading the room, then you've got to understand the history of the church, right? In fact, we're, we're doing a renovation at the church right now. And so we've been going through our historical archives and I've, I learned yesterday. In fact, I wish I, I can't go get it because it's sitting over on my table, but I got, I found out yesterday about a plan in 1982 to build a massive senior living center home on our church property that our church was going to build. I had no clue, had no wow. idea about that. Yeah, that was well, a trend. Oh, it was fascinating. And I mean, it was huge and very expensive, but uh, that's part of the church history. So you've got community culture, you've got your church history, you have church leadership culture, which often is disconnected from the church as a whole. That's a major problem that we see regularly. And I think you've got to be able to read each of these environments and understand how they sort of synthesize with each other. Sam, do you have any horror stories of people not reading the, the church well? Yeah, I've got my own. <laughs> but I would rather not share those. Well, neutralize them. Tell us about that guy named Stan. <laughs> yeah, that, let me tell you this story Stan about that this one guy that I, that's a friend that I know. <laughs> I, I will say this. Yes, there is a community culture. There is an organizational culture in your church. And then there is a staff culture in your church. Mm. And then you could even get that further down into your different groups or Sunday school classes. You could get that down to committees if you have committees or an mm -hmm. elder board or, you know, each of those people groups, those interaction, those, those, the places where people are interact are going to have a separate culture. Now, there's going to be a lot of overlap, but sometimes you find a church that the church 
culture does not match the community culture at all. And there is a culture clash. And it is important to be aware of all of those things. And let me tell you, one of the places that I have found it most prominent is in a town and gown sort of setup where you've got a small town that has a state university there or a larger university that is present. What? what? And many times you will find that the university culture is very different then the town culture is very different than the than the church culture. And you need to be aware of all of those dynamics. And I think one of the best leadership tools that you can have is the ability to walk into a room and to, to know, like, is this, the room. is this a room full of professors? If mm-hmm. so, that, you know, in a town and gown culture, you know, that may have a different feel than, you know, you walk into the room and it's a room full of farmers. And, right. you know, they're the, they're, you know, they're part of the agricultural community in this small town. So, yeah, it is, uh, it is extraordinarily important that you are able to see even just walking in a room and seeing people and immediately beginning to assess who are they and what are they thinking. Yeah. And I, I think, Sam, you just identified one of the major pieces, right? When there's a disconnect between the general culture in the community and who the church is. And just from a missiological perspective, you need to understand that, first of all, just to know where you are. But you also need to be able to get begin shifting the culture of the church so that there's sort of um, – more synergy between the culture of the church and the culture of the community. One of the things that I love about both of you guys, and and we try to do here at Brainerd, is to be a church that reflects our city, right? To be a church, obviously, we're not talking about in every sinful way, but we're talking about just the ethos of the city ought to be reflected in the church. And often as pastors and church leaders who come to a church from outside of the city, we try and sort of bring our cultural realities with us to the church, sort of imposing them on the church. And if we're there long enough, that, that can be a reality. But we're going to be missiologically unfaithful. Like we won't we won't be able to reach as many people if we don't help our church reflect and represent uh, our community well. Yeah, yeah. You don't get to create the culture in an established church. That's just reality. That's a really you can good point. Be- you can bemoan that, but it's not going to help you to complain about it. You don't get to create it. You inherit a culture sure. in an establishment. You got to work within that. Let me give you an example. Uh, and this will also draw a distinction because I think what we need to be careful is we're not talking necessarily only about the history of the church or the history of the decisions. We're talking about the way in which those decisions and even geography, those sort of things played out in the church and what's holding over. So, um, one of the ways that I misread second when I came to second was if you just look at the outside of the building, we have a, a, what you would call a very modern look to us. We are also, I know a lot of people say this, you'll, you'll say, I'm, I'm across the street from such and such, and then you find out they're 10 miles away. We are literally across the street from what most people think is the second largest university in Arkansas. So, your property are, borders their property. Yeah. I mean, we are right there. And so, I look out my office window, I see, um, you know, a side of the university. So, I thought coming to second, even considering second, I, I got this halfway through the interview though. Um, that it was an extremely modern, forward-leaning sort of church, which it is in a lot of aspects. However, historically, as Second was downtown, which it was six years ago, it was considered more of a high church, big choir, lots of high music, uh, dressy people, like uh, uppity sort of kind of things, not in a bad way, just more money and those sort of things. It was the largest Southern Baptist church and it 
had a lot of those influences. So when I was hired, so many people, not only the church folks, but also the people in the in the in Arkansas were shocked that Second Baptist had hired a guy like that, right? Because to me, I thought I fit perfectly. But to them, the culture, the perception of what second was and what I am didn't flow. So, I had to learn that coming in that second was not necessarily the way that I perceived it, although it was in a lot of aspects. But I have to also be appreciative of the way the community perceives second. And so, when we're trying to paint a picture of who we are, we're going through what they already assume we are, right? So, part part of culture is this this idea of projection, people project things on you Mm -hmm. and you can't help that. So, if you're a new pastor, uh, especially, you know, people are going to project on you uh, typically positive things. You know, they they tend to think of fond memories of former pastors or, oh, you look like somebody, so maybe you are like that person. Mm -hmm. And those are unfair, but they happen. And so, one of the things that you need to be careful of as a pastor, particularly a new pastor, is people are projecting things on you. That's just what they're doing. That's just how everyone is. We we all do this. So what are and the lines? as you walk into the room and as you read the room, you need to be aware that people are assessing you unfairly. Now, it could be that the unfair part of that is they're projecting things on you that are positive. They're just not you. Yeah. And and you might disappoint them when they find out <laughs> that you, well, this is the real you. And, Sam, and that happens about year two or three. And that's why year two or three can be hard. Let, let's actually say you will disappoint them, right? Because yeah. I remember saying to someone like, the, the strongest level of support I may ever have at a church is the day that I'm called, right? Because mm-hmm. you have, especially if you are fairly typical and you're at like 95, 100% of the people are voting for you at that point, you're going to make decisions from that moment forward. People are going to be disappointed. They're going to perceive things about you and you're maybe not going to be exactly what they, uh, what they perceived. And so, right. um, you know, some support may decline at some level after that. That doesn't mean obviously you're not widely supported or anything like that. I mean, there's just a, there is an unknown factor when you first walked in, walk into a place between you and the church. And what makes, what makes the relationship a sort of the symbiotic relationship healthy and, and happy and, and fruitful long-term is the ability to get past sort of those, okay, you're not what I thought and I'm not what you thought, but we're learning to love each other and function well to each, you know, with each other. And then beyond that to live, you know, being in this sort of rhythm of trusting, knowing, and, you know, working together after that, but that's going to require tenure and it's going to require a high level of relational investment. Also some, some humility where you're going to have to go and meet them where they are and then bring them to where they need to be. The, the pastors that I see, and I'll go ahead and say the younger ones, the more inexperienced, they just refuse to do that. They refuse to be less cool in their perception for a season in order to bring the church to where it needs to be. I've even known pastors that won't accept certain churches. That they, I knew a guy, he, he needed a position. He was looking, there was a church interested in him, and he decided against it, right? Major reason, not the church culture, not the community. They had red carpet and pews, and that just felt too outdated to him. Oh, and I'm like, look, you can change carpet. You can change pews. Maybe on the first day. You can yourself learn to be okay with carpet and pews. Also get over it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, So it's not a major issue. So that's a factor of even, I think in those cases, that's deadly because you're reading it probably accurately. You just refuse to do the right steps of changing them. 
So that's on the front end. Let me talk a little bit about when you get into the role for a year or two. It's something that I hear often is uh, they they lied to me. You know, the, the I the thought parents. that, you yeah. know, this is what they told me the church was and it wasn't these things. And, you know, sometimes search committees can be um, deceitful, but I would say that's more rare than anything else. What happens is, is everyone was expecting something and it wasn't that and it never is. And so, they didn't lie to you. They were just trying to show you their perceptions and those perceptions just weren't reality. Right. And everyone over the course of a year, 18 months, two years, begins to discover each other. And that's part of leadership, by the way, is moving past that and helping people move past that and being very gracious. And and when people's perceptions of you change or when your perceptions of the church become reality and they shift into these times where it's like, okay, now I'm really beginning to figure all this out. No, no, one, no one lied to you. The, the lying implies motive. They weren't intentionally trying to deceive you, maybe they just didn't have a grasp on reality and the way that perhaps you as the leader might see it with your perspective now. And, he, and I think it's good to not um, push back too hard on your church if, you know, you get a year or two in and you start realizing things. I think that happens to everyone, by the way. Well, that's the reason we're doing the show is because not only are they poor at everybody's, I think most people are poor at reading the culture. And so, that's what we're trying to share here. What would be Two or three top questions you would ask, either going in of the committee or of the internet or while you're in it, what are, what are some questions you would ask that would help you read the culture? My favorite, my favorite question to ask for any church is what excites your church most? Mm, and those answers are very telling. So, don't if you're, if you're in an interview process, be very careful not to ask too many negative questions because negative questions engender negative responses. But Gender negative? So, they, they create. Yeah. So <laughs> if you're negative, people are going to be negative. I thought you said gender negative. In gender. In, in gender. gender. In gender. gender. Create. Come on now. We're going to have to help Josh. He's from Texas, uh, man. These yeah, words are all yeah, over his head. Give me some guys. He's, he's from what, Texas, Sam. There's only so much we can do. What excites your church most? So, what does what, what excites so, Brainerd and, and Bradenton? What's that thing? Well, I, I think at Brainerd, I mean, the sort of the key for us is just on mi our, our identity is wrapped up with mission, right? So, this is, mm -hmm. and that's no surprise. That's who I am. I mean, that's kind of my passion. And so, we like, you know, we say it, man, I probably say it 10 times a day. We help those who are far from God become committed followers of Jesus Christ from the scenic city to the nations, man. That language is mm -hmm. pervasive at our church. Everybody on our staff can repeat it, does repeat it. I hear, I, we were praying yesterday and I listened to one of our guys say, Lord, help us in this pandemic, you know, help us mm -hmm. to help those who are far from God become committed followers of Jesus Christ from the scenic city to the nations. Uh, I think that's a consistent ethos for us. What about you? What, what, what about yeah. Brington? Well, I've, I've been there long enough to help shape that answer. Um, you know, five years now. So, candy corn? <laughs> yes. <laughs> candy corn and black jelly beans. That's oh. what excites. <laughs> Pox on your house. No, well, since I've had an opportunity as a leader to shape it, I think most people would say being a neighborhood church. Now. Yeah. And our, yeah. our phrase is like being it. a neighborhood church. I probably nations. could have said that without Sam even saying it. I mean, I know that about Sam and about the church. 
I didn't so know that. I we're all pay attention to Sam. We're all pay, dug I'm, into I'm a it. good friend who pays attention to you, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> but before I got there, I would say that what excited people most is, hey, we kind of offer something for everyone. Mm. You know, we've got, mul- we, we've got multiple services. They're all different styles. Mm. And, you know, there was some good to that, but it was also sure. – producing a culture in each individual service, which by the way, if you have multiple services, particularly multiple worship styles, you're yeah, going to have different churches. cultures in each of those services. And and so, I think it's shifted away from mm-hmm. what we're trying to do everything for everyone, which was unrealistic. Yeah. It, it was noble, but unrealistic. I think second really gets excited, has traditionally gotten excited about uh, like paying for it like it's a hard way to say this but they love to rush in and cover the cost and the giving and to fix the need and i'm so, gonna send you some things that we need cost covered <laughs> for josh <laughs> man they get excited and it's just like a cool thing now i do know which that, um which which of your members can i send invoices yeah, yeah. that's exactly yeah. right <laughs> just send them to me i'll make sure they get to the right people and then <laughs> the other thing is um here recently is this whole concept of family. They love that. They love yeah. that, like the whole family and that multi-generational. So, I guess if you use the buzzword, it's multi-generational, but we use the word family. And so, that so really me, excites us. Let me let me give you a couple things that I do. Uh, so, yeah. when I'm thinking, like I think I tell our – I've told multiple staff members this before. I think we ought to be cultural anthropologists as, mm-hmm. as pastors, right? That, yeah, and you say that to pastors and staff and our eyes glaze over and they don't know quite what that means. Here, here's simply put, when I go overseas, and I mean, I love, you guys know this, I love traveling overseas. I keep trying to get you guys to go with me. And one day you guys are going to love the nations too and we'll go. But <laughs> <laughs> Josh is actually shaking his head, no, it's not no. happening. I'll go, I'll go. <laughs> Josh I love the nation not. of Texas. <laughs> that is a foreign country, the very strange <laughs> people there and they need Jesus. Uh, but so when I go overseas, particularly if I go to really anywhere, but you know, if I'm a third world, it's, it's a little easier. Two places I go to immediately. I go to religious institutions and I go to the market, right? When I go to a, to a new city, that's where I go check when I'm overseas. If I want to understand the ethos and the culture of the place, I'm going to go to the market. What's predominantly selling? What's popular? Where do people gather? And I'm going to go to the religious institutions, particularly the ones that are visibly successful, like lots of people going there, that sort of thing. And I think the same thing is true with a new pastor who rolls into a town. You can understand much about your town if you go to the primary places where people Hmm. gather, shop, and worship. And so, uh, I would start there from sort of the cultural side. Then the big question that I like to ask, Sam's question was somewhat similar to this, but I've seen incredible responses. If, If you can say to the people you're meeting with, 10 years from now, we get whatever you want in your mind. We get to succeed at whatever it is you think we ought to succeed at as a church. What does the church look like in 10 years? And to me, that tells you a lot about what their goals and aspirations and desires are. And the reason why that matters is they think you're the one to get them there. And that helps you Moses. identify whether or not you are the kind of person they're really looking for, because they're all going to say the same thing. We want someone who's a good preacher. We want someone who can help lead the staff. We want someone who ha- has vision. Okay. But that's transferable to every church. We know that that doesn't specifically drill down on what they're really looking for. So asking that question 10 years from now, if we can succeed exactly as you think we ought to, what does the church look like? And, uh, and just let them dream for a little bit and, uh, and see what happens. Um, so, coming to Arkansas, I knew it's a natural state, right? So, yeah. and I get that. It's beautiful immediately when you drive around. It's, it's beautiful. But it, 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 it slowly sank. And what you're talking about there is exactly right. So, 
kayak shops. Not only kayak shops, but in here, here's a thing that you can do in the United States is go to Walmart and see the things in your new community that are selling in that Walmart that don't sell in your Walmart, right? So the Walmarts in North Texas do not have nearly as much hiking, camping, water sports types of things because Arkansans love to go outside. And I'm, I know that's very true about Tennessee and Florida as well, but they love to go outside much more than a, you know, a metropolis in a very hot, arid kind of climate. So, that was a shift. Now, what does that mean practically? Well, one of the things that's a big appeal about Second Baptist is the way our campus looks like. It's sort of a retreat center, how it has windows all the way around that open up to the outside. Our buildings themselves reflect the culture of the community that we are in. My sermon illustrations shifted dramatically from living in a in a metro to living in an outside culture. Both of those are examples of how the culture fleshes out in reading. You know, when you read the culture of the community you're in, then that's going to change some very practical things about the way you do things. Yeah. And I love the fact that you would preach to the culture. Don't preach to the internet. Don't preach to a broader audience. Preach to your church. So, there's, yeah, how do you connect? Mm -hmm. I guess is a good question and connect through preaching. Well, use local examples. Use, you know, the fact that you're out and about in the community and you're clearly connected to the Mm -hmm. community. Um, So, not only should you do everything you can to integrate yourself into the community. By the way, that means living near the church. I can't tell you how many times I've done a consultation and found out that the majority of the staff live like 30 minutes away, 45 minutes away. Michael lives in a whole granted, state. Sometimes. I live six miles, but I do live in another state. <laughs> He's like sometimes He's got a home here. It's just normal. <laughs> it's just normal for North Georgians. On rare occasions, it's because the person can't afford to live in the community. So, if that's you, I understand. But in most cases, it's just, yeah, I just didn't want to live right around the church. Yeah. And what that says is, yeah, I don't like the community. Yeah, them people is dirty. Yeah. So, I don't want to live around there. So, live in saying. the community, be connected to the to everything local and be, just kind of it, it, just immerse yourself into the local context and then preach about it. You know, mm-hmm. hey, I was That's at right. such and such a shop or I was out doing this and, and people are going to know like, oh, he's a local. And and that's very important in the mm-hmm. life of so the church. So, we've got two fantastic questions, listeners. What excites your church? What does your church want to be in 10 years? Here's mine. This one's a very simple one to answer. Ask, which church, okay? We're in church world. Which church is the fastest growing or the largest in your community and why? Yeah, that's That right. answers so many things about things. I just, yeah. I, whenever I'm going into a community, I'm like, so what's the church everybody's going to? And, and I would encourage you to, to kind of, if possible, ask the question, not just which church in your, in your community is the fastest growing, but which one that's closest to your tribe is fastest growing. Because you'll have some that are theologically or methodologically vastly sure. different than your tribe that might be growing. It's probably going to be difficult for you to shift your church towards them. Well, I'm not even saying to shift it. So, let's say um, this, you know, this church and this church, there's two or three that are kind of the things that are going on. It, the answers to the questions are very valuable to me. When I've talked to pastor search committees and I say, hey, which church is everybody going to? And they give all different answers. That shows me whether or not the 
the pastor search team is really in touch with the church community. Mm, that's true. Also, if they're all giving me the same answer and I start to look into that church and I'm trying to figure out what's what's the thing, what's the, the magic sauce that that church is offering over there, you can figure out a lot of things. Let's say that that church just built a brand new, beautiful building on the side of town like a year ago. And so, everybody's going to that. Well, that's a factor. I'm not saying that we would, okay, well, when I come past your church, we're going to build a big, beautiful building on the highway. Um, or they just got a new music or they're all about the music or let's say in some cases they're just super watered down. I mean, it's just a social club or something like that. It just tells me what's going on in the community and then what, you know, niche or niche, however you say that word is your church filling. I always like to ask the question, what role in this kingdom is my church part of what, what, what exactly are we doing here? And so, if you can't answer those questions, the sad thing is there are so many churches in a community that are all just copying one another. They're all just trying for the same role. They're all doing the exact same thing because they've never really tried to read the, the community or the culture. They're just playing comparison games. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not telling you to play, well, play comparison games. I'm telling you to look around. A lot of times we don't think very creatively. We just ask the question, hey, how's everybody else doing it? And let's just try and replicate them. And rarely can we do it as well as they can. You know, you're sort of the, the, the cheap knockoff we often end up being. You right. really have got to understand your context both in the community and the church and try and move the church in a direction so that you're consistent with the culture around you in the sense of your ethos, but you're understanding, as you said, Josh, your niche, who are you? And, uh, and you know, churches that try and be all things to all people tend to be nothing to anyone. You, you know right. what I mean? At, at some mm-hmm. degree, I don't want to be, that's an overstatement. That's an overgeneralization, but you guys get the point. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a podcast. So we generalize. Yeah, we <laughs> so when you walk into a room, when you walk into a room in your church, Ask the question. Here's some questions to ask. Who holds the power? Who is the decision maker? Yeah, that's Who has right. that positional authority? That's right. Who holds informal power? That's Who's right. the influencer? That's exactly right. Um, who is a culture shaper? It could be very, that person could be different. Who is the one that is kind of shaping the culture of the church? Um, who is helping structure the church? You know, putting putting the pieces in place. Who's the engineer? So these are all diff- these can all be different people, by the way, that are working together in your church. And by the way, many times it's people who mean well. Mm-hmm. They may not be exactly doing what they should be doing because they haven't had good leadership. But most of the time, the intentions are pure. Um, so those are some other questions to ask on an individual level right. that help you know you understand the culture. There's always some individuals that are more. Uh, that more affect the culture than than others, and it may not be the person who's at the top of the of the um, organizational chart. No, sometimes it often they're isn't. further down. And I would just say, so I mean, wrapping up here, the, this helps you on both sides of it. You need to read the culture of the church if you're accepting a call there. You need to regularly read the culture of the church and the community if you are pastoring there. Just make sure that you're fresh, that you're doing things that are uh, worth the investment, worth the time. Because we're stewarding resources. So, make sure that you're doing the best. And I mean, it's, you know, it's like the, one of the keys here is helping understand that you can be who God has designed you as a pastor to be, right? Mm -hmm. Understand your giftedness, understand your calling, lead in that as you help your church, you know, don't just try and be what everybody else is trying to, to do and to be. Know your identity. I would just, I would also like to point out that we did a whole episode on culture. And none of us quoted Ed Stetzer. 
we did mm, not. I'm I sorry. I, I think thing, we yeah. probably need to apologize to Ed. <laughs> I, and because when it comes to this subject, I think he's probably been more influential on me than anybody else. You know, he and Tim we got We got to give Ed props that culture is it's a house that it's you where live in. Live. It's where you live. It's the water. There's I mean, good I've, things I've in said the house. This- I've said this. There's bef- bad things in the house. I've said this before uh, with Ed in the room. Outside of my dad, no man in my life has ever been more influential on my missiology and theology than Stetzer. Has. What, if, mm. what are the chances he actually hears this? Probably not. No, there's no chance. He's not no, listening to this. No. I mean, for that influence <laughs> on my life, it was Emmett Smith. So, so if Emmett you're a Smith. listener and you know who Ed Stetzer is, um, just tweet him that he has been quoted yes, on ESD. Right. Everyone tweet Ed. Every, everyone tweet at everyone him tweet and him like make right. a big thing out of it and mm-hmm. get them all stirred up so that he has to listen to that's the episode. Right. All right. Thanks, guys. Good episode. Talk to you all next week. And thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next week. Hey, I'm Tom Rayner, and I am sharing with you a great resource for pastors. I always get excited when I can offer something to pastors and other staff members. But this is stuff for ministering to grieving people in your congregation and community. As pastors, it's hard, even as in the role we have, for us to know what to say and how to say when ministering to a person who has lost a loved one. What you need is a glimpse of the minds of grieving people. And that's exactly what this resource, Grief Share, provides. Their free book, Eight Things Grieving People Wish Their Pastor Knew, gives insight into how people grieve, how they misinterpret their feelings, and helpful things you can say and do to help people through the grief process. Visit griefshare.org forward slash EST to download your free book. You can see it in the show notes. That's griefshare.org forward slash EST, followed by the number eight. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening.